Matthew chapter 6, 8-11 if you need it. Today we're going to continue in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to speak on the subject that Jesus spoke about more than any other subject. I'm not sure that makes it his favorite, but it is the most popular subject that he talked about. He talked more about this subject than he did about sexuality or heaven or even hell. And believe me, Jesus talked a lot about hell. Randy Alcorn, the author, reckons that 15% of everything Jesus said had to do with this subject. And the subject is money. Money is a big deal to Jesus. In fact, as I read through the Gospels in particular, I I came to the realization that there must be something really dangerous about money. Let me read a passage for you to help you understand what I mean. Matthew 19, 23, and 24, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Do you see what he's doing with the hard, easy contrast? He's saying that money is dangerous. It can keep you from heaven, from the kingdom. If you have it and depend on it, it can kill you. If you don't have it and crave it, it can kill you. Money can kill us and it's so dangerous. And here's the reason why. Because Jesus says it reveals our hearts. Verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I want to talk to you this morning about having a spiritual heart attack. And Jesus uses the word heart three times in the process of this Sermon on the Mount. And he says there are two major causes of spiritual heart attacks. I know there's a lot of causes for physical heart attacks. You can have a pain in your chest, your neck, your back, or your arms. You can have uh, fatigue, lightheadedness. I mean, I looked on the internet, shortness of breath, dizziness, clammy skin, cold sweat, abnormal heartbeat, all kinds of things. Jesus points out, however, when it comes to spiritual heart attacks, that there are two main causes of them. And he mentions them in the three verses he records that word heart. The first is Matthew 5, 8, and he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See, morality is a big deal to Jesus, because morality, or the lack thereof, can cause a spiritual heart attack. It's only the pure in heart, those who are set apart, those who are holy, will ever see God, he says. To counteract that, on the other side of it, he says this in Matthew 5, 28. He says that if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery already. So Jesus says, here's one of the major causes of spiritual uh, heart attacks, and that is morality, purity, pleasures that are inordinate according to the Bible. And then he says there's another major cause, not only morality, but money. He says that money... And hoarding it and keeping and treasuring it here, he says, can destroy you for eternity, he says. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is going to give us three signs in our text that you might be having a spiritual heart attack. And he puts them in the context of a contrast. 
And you'll see them. One contrast is in verses 19 to 21. The second one is in verses 22 and 23. And the final one is in verse 24. Um, That's not surprising because what he's going to do to set you up for the weeks to follow is that he's going to tell you about a bunch of contrasts. He's going to tell you not only about two treasures, two eyes, and two masters in our text, but then he's going to go on and tell you in the next paragraph about two ways to respond to anxiety and worry. And by the way, the major cause of anxiety and worry are things. Things that you need or think you need or don't have and wish you had. And we're going to see that in the weeks to come or next week. He says there are two gates you can enter into to get into heaven. The wide gate, or try to get in. Wide gate or the narrow gate. He talks about two trees that bear fruit, good and evil. Two houses, one built on the rock and one built on the sand. Jesus is going to tell us, see, there are choices to be made. He says, and you're going to have to make it, especially when it comes to money in your life. So the first sign... Jesus would say that you're having a spiritual heart attack caused by money is this, in verse 20, 19 through 21, that you value earthly treasure over heavenly treasure. So Jesus says in verse 19, don't lay up, or literally in the text, don't treasure up treasure. It's the same word used twice in a row. Don't treasure up treasure. And by saying that, he is not saying that it's wrong to treasure up things. No, it's not a problem of treasuring up stuff. The question is, where are you treasuring up stuff? Where is the location of your treasure? Two times in verse 19, two times in verse 20, and once in verse 25, he says where, where your treasure is. It could either be contrast on earth, verse 19, or 20, verse heaven. He says, if you're treasuring up treasure on earth, beware, it's uncertain, You will lose it either eventually or immediately. He says eventually you'll lose it because it'll have moth and rust and it will corrupt it and destroy it. Or you end up losing it immediately because someone like a thief can steal it from you. He says so if you choose to treasure up treasure here now with things like cars and houses and vacations and boats and, and all those types of things and others. He says beware because that doesn't last. It's uncertain And you will eventually lose it. He said, but there's an alternative. But, in verse 20, he says, if you lay up treasure in heaven, it's invisible, it's eternal, and it is certain. It is everything that the treasures on earth are not, he says. It cannot lose its value and it won't be stolen from you. And here's what he says to all of us this morning. And you must choose. You must choose. Moses made that choice. If you would turn to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. I want to show you two pictures of people who had to make the choice of where they would treasure things and how that choice defined their lives. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24 says... By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That was the choice. He grew up 40 years in the palace with all the money, riches, luxury, power, that everything that the world superpower of Egypt at the time could give him. He was at the top of everything. And at one point when he turns 40, he turns his back and all of it and refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter any longer. 
What did that choice look like? Watch the participles. Choosing, and now he's going to do two phrases that are contrast. Ready? Rather than and greater than. Watch it. Because if you would choose like Moses chooses, like Jesus would have you to choose, you have to have the power and ability to biblically compare things. Watch what Moses does. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. What's the choice then? See, rather than, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So here's what he has scales out here. This is, if you're a business person and you live in the business world finance, it's called cost um, benefit analysis. You ever heard of CBA? CBA, cost benefit, and as I, as I read about it this week, it means this, when you're going to make an investment, you have to weigh out whether the benefits will outweigh the costs. So if I want to get this, I have to say, hey, what am I going to get out of it then compared to what it's going to cost me? And I always want the benefits to outweigh the cost so I can make a profit. That's what cost-benefit analysis is. Moses is going to do that, and so is the guy we're going to talk about next. But watch how they do it because they're going to do it on completely different value systems. And the reason is, it's because of where they find their treasure, right? So here's CBA for Moses. He says in the text that he chooses rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. So what are the benefits? Well, I can stay in the palace and I can enjoy all the pleasures the world has to offer and all that joy and that pleasure and that sin. He says, but it isn't going to last. So I make the hard choice. I take rather to be mistreated with God's people than to have all of this extra luxury in Egypt. It's not a choice many Christians are willing to make. But he goes on. It's more than that, he says. See, it's not just rather than I choose one over the other, but why would I ever do that? Why would anyone who's a Christian, why would teenagers today choose to be popular with Jesus instead of their friends? Why would you do that? Many do not. Most do not. But the ones who, why would they do it? You choose this over this because behind rather than choices is a value system based on greater than choices. Ready? Look at the next verse. It says, he considered, he took it into his mind, he made a cost analysis. Ready? He considered it. The reproach of Christ, notice the word, circle it please, greater. See the E-R on the end? He doesn't deny that the things in Egypt were great, but weighed out with Jesus as the alternative. This is greater. He says, I know this will cost to give up all of this. Oh, but the benefits with Jesus' side, oh, they're far better. He says, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures in Egypt. Were there treasures there? Yes. Are there treasures on the earth where Jesus says, don't lay them up? There are treasures here. There were treasures in Egypt. But here's what he says. Moses says, I'm not laying my treasures up there. I choose to lay them up with Jesus. Now, listen, how do you have that... That CBA, how do you come to that cost-benefit analysis here? You know why? Because if you have to have the benefits now, you'll never make the choice Moses did. If you have to have, see, what's wrong with adults and teenagers today, even Christian people, right? 
is that we have to have it now. And so here's how I weigh it out. You see, if I'm not, I don't do all the stuff my friends do, and they're not going to like me, and they're going to make fun of me, and they won't be popular now. So I can't, I don't look at Jesus and say the benefit is greater. In fact, I look at him and say the cost is too great to follow him and give up all of this. See, I can't do it. You know why? Because you have to have it now. So I have to have those benefits from the schooling now, and, but, but I'm going to put Jesus off. I have to have the car now and the nice house now and the comfort now. So I have to have all that now. And Moses had a different value system. And he weighted out his cost. Benefit analysis was completely different than most everybody else's. So he made choices that were to most people crazy choices that no one would ever make. Why would you go out in the desert with people who tried to kill you for 40 years and you choose that over the palace? Are you serious? So are there, there are teenagers today who would say, see, I'm going to follow Jesus even if they ridicule me and I'm the only one. And listen, I'd give up this schooling because I want to serve Jesus. And See, who makes those choices? The answer is nobody unless you're not having a heart attack. Because what Jesus says, one of the symptoms is this, I value earthly treasures over heavenly treasures. So Jesus says that's what you have to have in place. And Moses pictures for us what that looks like. But unfortunately, there's another side of it. And that story is found back in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19. I want to show you how most people consider CBA cross cost-benefit analysis. This is what most people do. And can I say? It's why they will be condemned. Behold, Matthew 19, 16, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Just so you know, this is a context about where you're going to spend eternity. Why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus says the second half, because if you really love God, it will show up in how you care about people. You should not murder, you should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. If you didn't get all the first ones, let me tell you this, you've got to have that same love for everybody. He says, I've kept all these. What do I still lack? I'm, I'm, the word is to fall short. Jesus, what is still missing? What was missing is he had all the externals but he had no internal. He didn't have a heart that treasured God. And Jesus says, let me prove it to you. Now notice the guy's religious. I mean, he goes to synagogue. He keeps the commandments. He's, he's moral, right? But he's got a money problem. And his money problem is destroying him from the inside out. And Jesus wants to show him just how bad it really is. Because here's what happens. Money can deceive you. You don't really think it's a problem until it's wrecked your life. Jesus said to him, if you would be complete or perfect, if you would have an inside that matched your outside, if you'd really have the righteousness that the kingdom really requires, go sell what you possess and watch and give it to the poor. Let me see how much you care about God. Show me how much you care about people. Go sell everything. What did Moses do? He gave up everything, did he? He gave up all the palace, all Egypt, all the treasures. 
I give it all up to follow and be with Jesus and his people. This guy says, confronted with the same choice, I can't do that. Jesus says, sell it all, give it to the poor, watch, and you will have treasure in heaven. See, the guy was good at storing it up here. But when it came time to make the choice about where he'd put his treasure, here or there in the future, he couldn't make it. You know why? Because in his cost-benefit analysis, the benefits had to come now. And so he went away sorrowful, sorrowful, because he had great possessions. See, the benefits didn't outweigh the cost of following Jesus, so he had to turn his back on Jesus and says, I can't follow you. You know why? Because I can't have you and money at the same time, and so I choose money. Money did not have Moses' heart, but it did have this man's heart. He couldn't say that Jesus was greater. Jesus says, I asked him that. You know why? Because I wanted him to know what was really in his heart. This is not a sermon about your wallet. You know the commercial, I think, Bank or Capital One? What's in your wallet? Well, that's what Capital One wants to know. But the Holy One wants to know what's in your heart. Because what's in your heart controls what's in your wallet. Because here's the principle. Your heart always follows what you value the most. So if you value sports the most... That's where your heart really is. And if you value money and the things it can buy and give to you, like power, position, and pleasure, see, that is where your heart really is. So all you got to do is check your calendar and check your, your, your wallet or your checkbook, and you'll find out where your heart really is, really is. Because it always follows what you value the most. It followed him out into the wilderness Moses, because his heart was with God, and so he went there. But the rich man, he couldn't follow Jesus because his heart wasn't there. Second sign of having a spiritual heart attack is that you practice greediness over generosity. Notice verses 22 and 23. He says you have a choice between, again, all in a contrast— he see, either have a good eye or you have an evil eye. And he says the good eye contrasts full of light. But if you have the evil eye or bad eye, it's full of darkness. It's not a gray issue. It is a black and white issue. This is the difference between good and bad, light and darkness. It's who you really are, he says. And in the Bible, if you have an evil eye, it meant that you were stingy or greedy. All you got to do is read Deuteronomy 15, Proverbs 23 and 28. Every time the little phrase, even Matthew 20, where Jesus says, do you criticize me who have an evil eye because I have a good one? In other words, they didn't like the fact that he gave everybody the same amount of money and they only worked an hour versus eight hours or ten hours. In other words, why are you stingy, Jesus says. So the word good is not healthy like you're healthy as good eyesight. No, the idea, here's what Jesus says in the context of money. See, here's the difference between light and darkness. That you have a heart, which is connected to your eye, because people who have heart problems have eye problems. He says you either have a good eye, which says, here's what my money is for. It's to meet the needs of others. And you're generous and you're kind. And the term in the New Testament is share with other people who have needs. Or the Bible says, 
Instead, you have an evil eye, a stingy eye, a greedy eye. See, a kingdom heart has treasure in heaven, so it is able to give away treasures on earth. See, a kingdom heart chooses, verse 24, God over money and, verses 22 and 23, people over money. See, it's not just that you come to church and give something in the plate. That's good. But Jesus says that's not generosity. He says, here's what generosity is. It's above what you give, meeting the needs of others out of the rest that you have by the way that I gave you. Because here's what's true of kingdom hearts. They value God over money and people over money. You don't think that's important? Listen to these texts. Jesus says, or James says in 2.14, that if you see a brother or sister naked from daily food and you say be warmed and filled but you give them nothing, he says, what good is it? He says, that's not faith. It's dead, he says. 1 John 3.16 and 17, how can you see your brother, it says, in need, it says, and close up your heart? From him. That's the term. And then the question is if you can close up your heart when you see someone in need, here's the question How does the love of God abide in you? And the answer is it doesn't. It doesn't. Because money defines us, money is dangerous. And one of the signs of having a spiritual heart attack is that we choose to live out greediness instead of generosity. John Wesley, who lived in the 1700s, who wrote many hymns in our hymn book, who started the Methodist Church, when he first started out in ministry, he made 30 pounds, this is British currency, a year, which was a decent thing. You could live off of it. And out of the 30 pounds he made in a year, he decided this is how much I need to get along. And the rest he gave to God and others. Over the years, as he became tremendously popular and his fame grew, he went from 30 pounds a year to 300 pounds a year, which would have made him incredibly rich. You know how much money he spent every year when he made all that money? The same amount when he made 30 pounds. He said, this is what I take to live and get along, and that amount never changed, even though his income was 10 times more than it was when he started. It never changed. When John Wesley died in his house, he had one and a half pounds in his pocket, and that's all he had because he had given all the rest away. Now, I tell you that story to say this. Not that we have to give everything away, but we have to make sure that it hasn't taken control of our hearts. John Wesley said, the goal of my life as I make more money is not to gain more, but to give more. I have been the beneficiary, I don't know if you've ever have, but I certainly have been the beneficiary over the years of people's generosity, and it changes my life. I have been given, believe it or not, five cars for free. Now, I'll have to be honest, none of them were very good, but they were free, and for someone who has nothing, everything is a treasure. I've had someone pay $5,000 for me to go to Israel I've had people in our ministry donate $25,000 or more to the school, $60,000 to the church. And I can tell you stories about large amounts of money and people's generosity, but can I tell you, that's not where most of us are 
I don't have $60,000 to give away like that, but I have 60. And it's not a, the amount of the money isn't the issue, as with this entire sermon. It's what's in your heart that matters, because that's what God's looking for. The widow had two mites, but she gave it all. See, God's not looking for how much you put in the plate. He wants to know how much of you have you put in the plate. So one of the signs of spiritual heart attacks is that you treasure things on earth more than heaven, that you are greedy more than generous. But the last one, the third one, is in verse 24. You will serve money over God. Notice the stern words of Jesus in 24. He says, no one. Do you see that? There are no exceptions. There isn't someone. You're not, the only, you're not one of the few people who can do this, Jesus says. There aren't, any, there aren't any people who can do this. He says, money, serving money and God are mutually exclusive. You're going to have to choose. You either serve money or God. It will not and it cannot be both, he says. You cannot serve two masters, he says. Now, I thought about this in my mind. I said, listen, you can't lay up treasure in heaven and treasure on earth at the same time. That's what he's saying. You cannot have a good eye and a bad eye at the same time. You cannot have God as your master and money as your master at the same time. It is impossible. So that means for all of us today that you are ha- one of those two things are true of you. It's not somewhere in between God is kind of, money is kind of. I'm kind of generous, kind of selfish. It isn't kind of. Jesus says it's cut and dry. Either God is your master, money is. Either you're generous or you're not. Either your treasure's on earth or it's on heaven. You have to be honest and say, what is it in my life? What is my heart really like, he says. And he says to us very clearly, for you cannot serve two masters. And I thought about what does it mean to serve money? What is he talking about when he's saying, what does it mean to serve God? Well, I came up with this. When you serve someone, you do what they say. Isn't that true? So I wrote down these things. If God was your master, you'd do what he says, right? So God says you should choose to go to church on Sundays. Money says you should choose to go to work and make some more overtime so that you can pay for the extra car that you didn't need. Who's your master? God says you should give 10% of your income to the church and above that give offerings and give more money to help people who have need. But money says you should keep your money, use it on your own stuff by the way you deserve it and everybody else should meet their own needs. God says use your money generously and even sacrificially for others. But money says use it on yourself. And by the way, Always look out for number one. See, that's what it means to be a master. That's what it means. Do you serve money or do you serve God? Who do you really listen to? Who, who do you follow? So when you serve someone or something, here's what it means. It means that you calculate all of your behaviors and all of your life to maximize what it can give to you. And so we come to believe that the benefits of money far outweigh the benefits of God. So we serve money instead. Money can give me greater satisfaction than God can. We wouldn't voice it, but we live it. Money can give me greater feelings of security than God can. Money can give me a far better sense of my identity than God can. 
See, money can make me popular and give me position and grant me power and allow me to have and experience and feel all the pleasures that everybody else says so much about. See, God doesn't do all of that for me. And this is why Jesus says, by the way, serve that master, but it won't work. You know why? You know why you can't serve two? Here's why. Because either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other, he says. In other words, if you want to serve Jesus, here's what he says. You must give me a singular devotion. Singular. Not Jesus and. You fill in the blank. No, not Jesus and money, not Jesus and education, not Jesus and sports, not Jesus and corporate power. No, you know what he says? Me, period, he says. It's a singular devotion to him. Would you agree with me? You can't be an Eagles fan and a Cowboys fan at the same time. Right? I have found out the hard way. You cannot be devoted to working out at the gym and have a steady diet of fast food at the same time. You can't. Imagine going home today and sitting down with your spouse and saying to your wife, Honey, I loved you and only one other woman. You would be on my doorstep because you'd have no longer a place to live. Imagine telling God... God, you're my treasure, and, oh, I'm sorry, we already do that. See, you could be here today and having a heart attack because money has begun to rule your life and your calendar, and everything in your life revolves around it because you think the benefits outweigh the cost, and with God it doesn't. So he has controlled you. Money controls you. And it's your timeshare that speaks and your vacation plans that speak and your child's education that you've invested in so much and the sports career you think you will have. And what happens? God goes from being loved to hated, which means love less. He goes from being the one that you were devoted to to the one you now despise. And you would never say you despise God, but you can't even make it to church. See, we despise, we look down on him. The word means to slight someone, to think that they are less than what they really are. And that's what happens when money becomes your master. We used to sit in the dorm room halls at Bible college, and I wanted to close with this and share it with you. There was a chorus we used to sing all the time, and I actually thought about singing it for you today, but I wanted you to come back next week. I want to say the words to you because I want this to be your prayer. I'm asking God to have it be. And it goes like this. One by one, he took them from me. All the things I valued most. Until I was empty-handed, every glittering toy was lost. As I walked earth's highway grieving in my rags and poverty... Then I heard his voice inviting, lift your empty hands to me. And then it repeats, then I heard his voice inviting, lift your empty hands to me. So I held my hands toward heaven and he filled them with a store of his own transcendent riches 
till they could contain no more. Then at last I comprehended with my stupid mind and dull that God could not pour his riches into hands already full. See, perhaps that's you today. See, God has all these treasures of heaven and riches for you, but you'll never enjoy them and you'll never even want or seek them or able to be contemplate that you could ever have that kind of life. You know why? Because your hands are already full. See, the only way that anything could ever change is that you'd come to him empty-handed and that you'd get on your knees and cry out and say, I'm so full of all the wrong things, the wrong treasures, the wrong ambitions and desires. God, here it is. I get, I, I, all that can go. I'm empty-handed. Fill me with you. With you. So you can't come to him empty uh, with your hands full. And so perhaps... As you think about your heart attack today, maybe there are Christians here and you need to say, clear, here's the paddles. But for some, it's the fact that you don't even know God and what you really need is a heart transplant. I mean, the most radical surgery. And that's what salvation is. And if you've never given your life to Christ and you're tired of trying to fill your life with all these things that only turn around to be empty, see, maybe it's the end of a needle, the bottom of a bottle, or somebody else's bed. See, none of those things... None of them will ever fill you and satisfy. Only Jesus can. And maybe today you need a heart transplant. Say, Jesus, here's my life. I want you to be my master. Be my Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, today is the day that you can give your life. Would you come and let him fill your life in your hands and your heart? Let's close in prayer. just a moment, we're going to close our service by singing, take my life and let it be. Oh, you see those words? Take my life and let it be. Oh, so much in this song. Verse 4, take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Would you do that today? Christian or non-Christian, would you come to the cross, maybe by walking this aisle, not because it changes anything, but it does give someone up here an opportunity to take the Bible and give you the help that you need. Would you make a treasure exchange today? Yours for his? Your full hands for a full heart? Today you can. You can. Father, you are here, and you see the hearts of all people, including everyone in this room. And you know the real condition of hearts here. And you know there are people who are right on the verge of a heart attack, and that may take them to an eternal hell apart from you. And there are Christians here who are followers and, and know better, but they have let money move you to the margins. Father, I pray that you again would be enthroned in the hearts of everyone here by surrender or by salvation, and may you be glorified in that as you deserve. For it's in your matchless name I pray. Amen.